Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to 10% Happier early and ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. From ABC, this is the 10% Happier Podcast. I'm Dan Harris. Hey, everybody. Hope you're doing okay. This situation sucks. There's no two ways about it. And uh, I know everybody's stressed, and because of that stress and fear and anxiety that we're all feeling, myself included, as I mentioned on Wednesday, we're now making this podcast uh, bi-weekly. So we're going to go twice a week. I've, ever, I've never known whether bi-weekly meant every other week or twice during a week. And any, in any event, I mean we're going twice a week. So keep it here for, for much more from us, um, including this episode today. Wednesdays and Fridays, we'll be posting. The other thing we're doing at the 10% Happier Company is live guided meditations on video on YouTube every weekday at three o'clock. You can join us at 10%.com slash live. I'll put a link in the show notes, uh, but we would love to have you tell everybody you know. The goal of these sessions is to give you, both to give you a sanity break in the middle of long, difficult days for most of us, and also to create a sense of community when many of us are feeling cut off and isolated. And uh, I think I think we're succeeding at both. But um, we've also put a, um, a survey up uh, on the YouTube page that you can fill, up, fill in and let us know how you think we're doing. Okay, today's episode. We are in the, in the middle of a giant global experiment in working from home, which is, and I can now say this with uh, personal experience, tricky at best. Our guests today, just like our guest on Wednesday when we talked about parenting in a pandemic, our guests today offer a real mixture of practical advice and genuine wisdom. Um, they have identified four areas that we should be focusing on when it comes to upping our working from home game. Uh, one is distractions. Family is the second one. Virtual collaboration and managing feelings of isolation. Our guests are Rasmus Hogard. He's the founder and managing director of something called Potential Project, which is a, a global leadership training, organizational development, and research firm. Basically, what they do, they say, is they help uh, leaders and organizations enhance performance, innovation, and resilience through mindfulness and other practices grounded in neuroscience and research. They work with big, big companies like Cisco, Lego, Lego Accenture, and Microsoft. Also with us is Jacqueline Carter. She's a partner at Potential Project, and she also runs their North American operations. She has a master's in organizational behavior. She spent many years working in major corporations, and she spent the past 10 years helping corporations embed mindfulness and other practices into their day daily life. In other words, these are two people who know what they're talking about. I also happen to like them a great deal, and you're, you're about to hear why. They're, they're very cool. Uh, I should also say they've, they've written a couple books together. Uh, one is called um, One Second Ahead, and the other is called uh, The Mind of the Leader. Both of them are about the issue of, of mindfulness at work. So uh, one last thing to say before we get started here. We're still working on our audio quality. Uh, I think it's going to be much better today than it was on Wednesday, but bear with us if it isn't perfect. Here we go. Rasmus Hogard, Jacqueline Carter. I think a great way to start perhaps would be, I, I'd be interested in hearing from the two of you about how you're doing in terms of staying on point in your professional lives in the midst of a really chaotic and confusing situation. Hmm. That's a, that's a great question. And, uh, and for us, it is not so strange. Uh, our organization is, 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 is digitally or virtually native. Uh, so we are always working from home unless if we're out with clients which we of course do a lot uh, but all the work that we normally do has not changed in that we're still working from home meeting with the same people on zoom uh, so we're used to this no no new new business for us in that sense i think dan what i would say though is of course as everybody is so aware of the increasing the, the stress and frustration that so many people and suffering that people are experiencing and i think for us it's, it's really a call to action. You know, this is work that we've been helping organizations and individuals build resilience and create more clarity and calm in their mind, as of course you have as well. And we just see the need now, it's now more important than ever. And I think for us, it's, it's, uh, it's a real call to action for us. I understand, though, that you've been working virtually, you've been pioneers in this space, but there's now this overlay of what is going to happen to our world. 
Am, am I going to get sick? Are my parents going to get sick? Are we, are we entering a, a recession or worse? I would imagine that seeps into your mind streams as well. I think uh, we'd be lying if we said it didn't. And obviously, like any other uh, business, we're hit by this uh, by this crisis, obviously. But I do have to say the way that our teams have dealt with it has been a very calm and very compassionate approach. So we have basically a mission of bringing more uh, peace and more compassion to the world through helping organizations to be more clear-minded and focused. And it seems... Because we've been practicing this for many years, I mean, all of us, we're 300 people around the world that really have paid off in this crisis. People seem very calm, very focused, uh, and, and even more purpose-driven about getting our mission in, in, into the world. And I think maybe, Dan, also an aspect of that, and it is because this is part of our culture, but it's the kind of thing where we have a culture where I can say, Dan, if, if, are you okay? Do you, know, do you need to take a break? You know, You seem to be struggling a little bit, and that's totally okay and permissible in our culture because... We know that sometimes we need to take breaks. Sometimes we get overwhelmed or we can check in with with each other in terms of things that we're dealing with outside of our work lives. So I think because it's so part of our language around distractions, around taking care of self, it's actually, it's, 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 again, it's, it's kind of business as, as normal for us. Let me stay with you, Jackie, for a second, because you're based in the States, right? Yes. Yes. But you are in Copenhagen right now because you got stuck there because they shut down the, they locked everything down. What, Correct. You, you were over there for work and they locked everything down. So now you're stuck away from home having yes. to also work in a different time zone with, as as referenced before, this sort of overhang of uncertainty in the world. So as you're going about your work, yes, you have a culture that's well-wired to deal with this, but still, it's that's a lot of extra added into the system. It is definitely challenging and at the same time, I think that from a practice perspective, Dan, as you know, all we can deal with is what's happening right now in this moment. And so for us, it really is about using the practice in this moment of crisis to be able to make sure that we're focusing on what we can control and doing our best to let go of those things that we can't. And just especially, you know, for us, just being of service. Rasmus, you now have a, an extra house guest because she's staying with you and and this is all going on. And, and again, I, I hear you loud and clear on how you've been helping organizations build resilience into their system. So therefore, you have it in in your system. And yet, a challenge is a challenge. So I'm just curious, do you find that you're trying to stay focused on your work at all? And there are in, invasive thoughts that you uh, have to have to have to deal with? Of course, there are invasive thoughts. And, and, and unfortunately, uh, when the rubber hits the road, you get to experience if the practice has really worked. And I do feel that it has worked very well. I'm not so worried about the, the the actual disease. I mean, in the end, most of us are going to get it over the next few years anyway. Uh, I'm more worried about all the, honestly, all the, like looking out over Copenhagen from where I'm seeing now and seeing all the shops and the cafes and all the, all the people that are going, you know, going, going bust over the next, uh, the next weeks. That is worrying me a lot. And of course, also the impact it has on our own organization, which is, was a worry for a few weeks, but not so much because now the world is realizing that resilience is the most important thing. And so we're actually pretty uh, pretty overwhelmed with the response from our clients and, and non-clients looking for resilience to to support their people. So so no, it, it, it's not, I'm not so worried uh, personally. Okay, great. I'm, I'm glad to hear that you guys are doing okay, given the circumstances. So let's, let's dive into, um, you very helpfully came up with four subject areas that you want to tackle as it pertains to virtual work. Distractions, virtual collaborations, family life, and the feeling of isolation. Let, let's start with distractions. And, and Jackie, why don't, you, why don't you go first? Actually, here? I'm, I'm, I'm uh, sorry. I'm happy to go into that. But, but actually, Dan, before we do, would it be okay if we just asked you the same question? How are you coping with being virtual and dealing with with your family life and all the distractions that you're facing. Cause of course you're in the middle of it too. Right. So yeah, it's a struggle. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I, I've been in an unusual situation for a number of reasons. One, I, I do go into the studio on Saturday and Sunday morning to do good morning America. So I do get a lot of human interaction then, but the rest of the week I'm by myself. Well, this week I've been really by myself because my wife and our son had been up at grandma's place in upstate uh, New York. And so that has been, you know, I'm really on my own. 
so there, they, I have been dealing with l- less, you know, distractions in terms of my my kid running around uh, the house while I'm in meetings or trying to think. But there are feelings of being disconnected and. I find it is useful that my company, uh, 10% Happier, we do a ton of video chats. And so that's that's been useful. I've also been, in the evenings, getting together. I have an 85-year-old neighbor, and she's interested in learning to meditate because she's got a lot of time on her hands right now. So we've been meditating about 20 feet apart in the hallway uh, nice. in the evening. So that's actually good for both of us, I think. That's really been my only face-to-face interaction. And also, I will say that in terms of distractions, I find myself struggling with checking Twitter obsessively. How's my, how many? One of the most painful thought patterns I can see in my own mind is, how many likes do I have on my most recent tweet? Right. That is an incredibly painful mind state to be in, I've noticed. Right. Uh, so that that's happening. Checking the news happens or just being sucked away. If I'm trying to work on one thing, being sucked away by my emails, I notice because it's all on the same machine right here in front of me on my desktop my work and, and the, and the inbox, uh, the pets are distracting. Uh, we have three cats and I, I, you know, just naturally not great at being focused. Uh, And then I would say, I don't know if this counts as a distraction, but the, just the anxiety. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, what, Dan, what, what, what is your anxiety about? Oh, well, this could be, we could do an hour on that. Uh, (laughs) Let's do that. We'll just turn the table here. uh, I would say my anxiety is about a lot of it's economic. You know, what's going to happen to my business? What's going to happen to, you know, I have two companies that I work for, 10% Happier and then also ABC News. What's going to happen to both of these places? What's going to happen to people I care about? Then there's anxiety about, you know, I have elderly parents. Are they going to get sick? Is my elderly neighbor going to get sick? Is my kid going to get sick? So there's a lot to worry about. Well, maybe that's a good place to kind of get into the context around distractions and science. And I think that, and you know this, it's like we are naturally distracted beings. The science says that we're distracted almost half of our waking hours, which is actually a really good thing from a mind perspective because it enables us to be able to make sure that our mind can respond to threats in our environment. If we were so focused that we couldn't hear the fire alarm, that would be dangerous for us. So in some ways, it's very good that our mind can be distracted. The problem actually in our current environment is that there are so many threats that are now in our environment that we're just overwhelmed with distraction and really experiencing for many people almost a state of mental paralysis as we're just can be overcome by those fears. And and for a lot of us in terms of those distractions, we have to ask ourselves, and it's great to hear you talk about, you know, maybe the news and maybe the Twitter feed. We're actually right now being sucked into things that we may think are important. Like, do I really need to know how many more cases are in my local area? Maybe I do. Maybe I really don't. And maybe checking that may or may not be helpful. So I think from a science perspective, what we're really seeing is an overload of of our brain in terms of our brain's ability to cope with those fears and anxieties from a distraction perspective. So, yes, I get that. There's an overload and we maybe need to give ourselves a break because we should recognize that there's an overload. And yet we do have things to do. So any let's get detailed about how we can actually do the things we need to do, given the unchangeable nature of the situation. Right. So there are there are three things that in our work with clients over the past few weeks uh, who are experiencing this big time, uh, three things that seem to be uh, coming to the top. The, The first one which we would recommend to anybody is to adopt a mindfulness practice. And I know this sounds self-serving, Dan, you're serving mindfulness to the world, so are we. But mindfulness practice is really the practice of learning to let go of distractions and stay focused on what we want so that we are more intentional about how we work and can actually get stuff done. I think a mindfulness practice should not be seen as just some esoteric, soft, woo-woo thing that we're doing in our private life. That's actually pretty important for performance, well-being, resilience, and innovation in uh, in these times. So that I would say is the is the first thing. The the second thing is really really practical is to switch off all notifications. And I know it's an old trick, but most people still haven't done it. So turn off all notifications on your Outlook, on your phone, on every digital device that can distract you. And uh, and now, Dan, you talked about uh, the, the social media, whether it's Twitter or Instagram or whatever. Shut it down while you're working because otherwise you're just not going to get work done. And then the last thing that I would say is, is uh, avoiding multitasking. We know that 
multitasking is the mother of all evil when it comes to performance and well-being and everything. And still we all do it. And so try to stop or diminish the multitasking a little bit, especially because when we're at home and as you said, there's a cat. Oh, how nice to pet the cat instead of doing the email or the conversation, whatever. So there are so many more things that will distract us when we're at home. So stop multitasking and be more mentally disciplined about staying on task. Frustratingly, I do a lot of pretty much everything you recommend. And yet I still, I don't have uh, notifications on. And yet I still go check my email just because I I don't want to do the thing I'm supposed to be doing right now. You are human. (laughs) (laughs) Just imagine if you checked your notifications, how bad it would be. Yeah, exactly. And and I I, I think that, first of all, it is, I mean, that's totally natural. I think that then it really, and especially now, I think that we know that people, I mean, that's, you know, habitual in terms of things that maybe you're used to doing that. I think that in ch- what we need right now, though, is to recognize the sense of urgency around that. Because before, when you were checking your email, you know, it might be something good. It might be something positive. But right now, what we're seeing is a lot of the times when we're checking, certainly, you know, Twitter or certainly checking the news, it's not positive. And so it's again about that impact that it's having on the brain, which is actually creating more anxiety, more fear and more worry then we need to, or that is helpful for us to be able to actually perform and get the things that we need to get done. So it's just be even more diligent about not checking things that you don't need to right now. And again, that sounds easy, but it's just critical in this, in this day and age right now, in this crisis, we need to be even much more disciplined. So let me read you, this may be a little redundant, but um, some of these are just good. It'll be good for you to hear and it's fun, fun to read. I, I went out on Twitter and said, here we go talking about Twitter, but I went out on Twitter and said, Hey, I'm interviewing some experts. Can you get, send me some questions? And I got a lot of questions um, and I'll, I'll keep referencing them through the course of this, but Wonderful. on the subject of anxiety slash distraction, um, uh, let me, let me read some of these to you. So some, uh, somebody with the handle state of South bend wrote, how do you stay sane, but also how do you focus when your cuddly dog who research has proven will improve well-being, is begging for attention, and you know playing will feel better. It's hard to focus on work amidst the crazy and balanced self-care, self-soothing. Let me just read a few more, and then you can respond en masse. This is from CL. Finding hope and purpose amidst the turmoil and tumult and being other-centric when engaged virtually. Any and all help is appreciated. And then Laura, uh, coping with the inability to focus along with the unknowns uh, of continuing to submit proposals and work on projects while worrying that there will be no way to get the work done. And sorry, let me just give you one more. How can you focus on being productive when every fiber of your being is distracted by an intensified form of existentialism and the nonstop pouring of bad news from social media? Well, in the end, it comes down to the same thing, more or less. It's all about managing the mind, right? I mean, whether it's the cuddly dog or it's the fear and anxiety coming from all the media, It's all about managing the mind. And that's, again, why the work that you do and the work that we do of helping people to manage their mind a little bit better is so important, especially and accentuated in a crisis like this. We had a a, a webinar this uh, this morning just a few hours ago with some 700 people from around the world. And and we had this, uh, this word cloud looking at what is it that people are experiencing right now. And of course, the, 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 the biggest ones were anxiety and fear and worry concerns, all of those people are just very, very emotionally loaded right now. Then when we ask the question, what one thing should you stop doing that would help you to feel a little bit better? And I think 60% of them wrote, stop watching the news. And that's a bad thing to say for an ABC. I know. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> so sorry for saying sorry. that, Dan. But, uh, but, but I'm it is sure true. not are... your newscast, Dan. No, no, no. It was, yeah, no, <laughs> that, you that, were that good. Was a disclaimer. Yeah, yes. yes, sorry. Not ABC. That. No, but people are obsessively checking the news for the latest fatality numbers and all of these things. And it's not helping us. So learning to manage ourselves to stop doing that and spend more time with the dog less time on Twitter. That would be my advice. And maybe Dan, to to make it also really practical. And again, you know this, and I'm sure most of the people that are listening know this, but it really is now is the time where you really see how going to the mental gym, actually sitting and practicing, whether you practice for five minutes or 10 minutes or whatever you do, but you sit there and, you know, before maybe you were distracted, but now you can sit there in the practice in the mental gym and you see worry, you see fear, you anxiety. And of course, is the practice, depending on which practice you're doing in that moment, but the best one is just come back to the breath. 
let it go. Release, relax, return, let it go. Keep on coming back to the breath. And as hard as that is in the mental gym, that is the training that's going to help you get through the rest of your day because those thoughts are going to continue to come up as thought bubbles. And if you are going to stay focused on the work at hand and the people that you're with, you've got to be able to train the mind and have that mental agility to be able to let go, relax, release, return to what you're doing. So let's drill down on that for a second, Jacqueline, because you've talked about... And I think this is a, I think this is going to be a useful um, bit of uh, sort of, I'm going to get a little legalistic, but I think this is going to be useful for people because you've talked about how we need more discipline right now. Yes. And, and that applied, applied as I understood it, not only to taking yourself to the mental gym, but also when you're trying to do work, really shutting down all the other distractions but you know, when I hear the word discipline, and I think when a lot of other type A people hear discipline, we our inner drill sergeant comes to the fore and we start beating the crap out of ourselves, you know. And so I, what I hear from this, you haven't said it explicitly, but I think you've really said it implicitly and it's worth highlighting that w- there is a gentleness here. There, There is self-compassion involved with both in the practice of, of meditation, no, you know, trying to focus on one thing, notice when you've gotten distracted and gently starting again. And the same, what I I imagine you would argue would apply to doing your work. So it's a mixture of discipline, but also uh, some self-compassion. I think that's absolutely true. Um, I once heard a great interview with the Dalai Lama who was asked, what is discipline? And he said, discipline is an advanced form of self-protection. It is protecting ourselves from our you know, lazy habits so that we get done what we need to do, that we attend to the things we should attend to in a very caring way, having, as you say, self-care and compassion for ourselves. So discipline is definitely not that, as you say, the, 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 the drill sergeant that is you know, telling you now, stand, but it is a, it's a strong sense of self-care and self-protection. Yeah. So essentially, I totally agree that I think that right now we need to take care of ourselves it's it's like when you ever you go on an on an airplane and not that anybody's flying on airplanes but you still remember the mantra that says put your own oxygen mask on first right now in terms of compassion it really does need to start with self and the reason why i would say and tying that to this idea of discipline a gentle discipline is also around going into the mental gym and allowing ourselves to really have moments of pause in our day where we can tune in take stock with what's happening in the field of our mind so that we can really start to see what's helpful, what's unhelpful. And it's really about enhancing our awareness. And, and then that's why then the next thing is to realize that we can make choices. You know, is checking my newsfeed, is checking Twitter, is checking this, is checking that, are those things helpful to us? And the more that we can, I think, tune into our own mind, I think that then, you know, this idea of discipline, it actually becomes quite natural. It's like, huh, wow, that's not helping me right now. I don't feel good right now because I'm actually engaging in more activities that are helping me be more aware and that's helping me take better care of myself. And now I'm actually better able to take care of others. So I think the strong aspect that I would say back to the practice is cultivating a greater sense of self, of self-care and a greater sense of awareness of self so you can take better care of yourself and take better care of others. Yeah, in terms of self-care, do you think it's, worth noting that uh, I, I totally agree we have to put our own oxygen masks on first here and so I've been thinking a lot about that I noticed so not last night but the night before I told myself a story about how you know I deserve a break and I stayed up until midnight watching Netflix and then I didn't get enough sleep and I was a mess yesterday and so last night I I put myself to bed early and I resented it, um, but I feel much better today. And so that, and also I've been really disciplined about working out every day. Uh, And so actually I'll read you another tweet that came in from Brad Stolberg, who's an author. He's written a couple of books, one called Peak Performance, the other called The Passion Paradox. And he's a coach for folks uh, on similar issues that you guys are. And he wrote here uh, to me on Twitter, lots of gyms are making the decisions to close. I think that is a very hard, but ultimately wise decision. The worst thing we can do is sit at home on CNN all day. Movement is key for physical health. I'm glad he said CNN, not ABC. (laughs) Movement is key for physical health and mental health. So, I mean, I, I would imagine... I think it's worth talking about this. If we're trying to stay undistracted, 
productive, focused, that it's not just about going to the, to the mental gym, but it's, uh, but going to the physical gym, finding a way to work out, even though we're in suboptimal circumstances. Absolutely. And I think whether it's, you know, just even, and I think one of the big things, and maybe we can look at that in terms of looking at, you know, how do we set ourselves up in terms of from a virtual environment? One of the things would be, you know, do you have a space in your home where you can actually work? Do you have a separate space where you can actually exercise? You know, do you, can you, can you reconfigure your house so that you can actually have fit for purpose spaces so that, ah, when I'm here, this is actually a place where everybody knows this is when I'm working. And not everybody has that luxury depending on where you live and the size of your house, but to really, I think, be creative about creating spaces that'll help you recognize, ah, here's where I can actually do some stretching. You know, this is actually my place for working out or for, you know, just be, or, or of course, a place for, for going to the mental gym as well. But I totally agree with you. Physical activity is so important for all of us. Since you talked about space and uh, I think not not all, I mean, especially for those of us who live in New York City, we a lot of us, we don't have space. And so what, what do we do about that? Uh, because many of us, you know, if you're a parent and you don't have that much space, this is a really hard moment. I'll just read you another tweet from Jacob Lagerstedt. How do I explain to my five-year-old boy that streaking during a conference call with clients is not okay? What, what, do, what would you say to parents right now who are cooped up with kids and don't, and don't have a, necessarily have a place to go? Or even if you do have a place to go, there's the guilt that you're, that you're dealing with. Uh, that's a great question. And, and, uh, and as you said in the beginning, there are these four areas that we need to manage, one of them being family life. Uh, we can maybe move a little bit into that. Um, We'll come and answer at least a few ideas of, of, of your question. But I think, in, in, first of all, the context is that it is obviously incredibly confusing for everybody, especially the kids, to have parents at home working from home. Does that mean they're available? No, it doesn't. But then what? So it is very confusing. And, and research has shown that you know technology in the room where you have your family life is making people feel distant from each other. And like if you're looking at technology while your kid is trying to get your attention. It is the same pain as if, if you slap their face. So it's a pretty pretty difficult thing. And I think also for couples, it is generally very confusing to suddenly be at home and who is taking care of the kids from, what, 9 to 10 and so on. So uh, a few things that that we're advising anyway. The, the first one is um, the self-care that you have talked about already. If we want to show up as a good parent, while we are an, an effective employee or leader, we need to get sleep. We need to get exercise. We need to have time for those things. So back to the self-care, really, really important. But the second thing is, and even if you live in New York, but to try to separate your workspace from family space, even if that means you're sitting and working in a closet or you're working in a separate corner of the living room or the kitchen or whatever, but that you have a boundary that is, this is workspace. And then when I move even just two meters away, then I'm at home. So there is this that physical and mental separation between where you work and where you where you live. And then to make those expectations very clear for the whole family. So I think it's important to sit down and talk about what do we do where in this apartment and when do we do what in the time that we have together as long as we're working anyway. So basically self-care. Uh, separate workspace and then boundaries and, and expectation, uh, managing expectations. I wanted to add one more thing that may or may not work for all people, but I do think that, again, I'm, I'm always trying to be a silver lining kind of person. I do think there is also something that we could really leverage in terms of our colleagues, like the fact that, you know, we're on this call and we're, this is the first time you've invited us to your home, Dan. And, you know, if your kid streaked across the back, I mean, it would actually make me feel more connected to you. So I think that there's actually an opportunity for us to use the fact that, yes, we have kids, we're all managing this, we're all in this together. And actually to maybe, yeah, you know, you know, Dan, you know, maybe if my kids were here, I'd like to introduce you to them. And then I'll say to them, I'm talking to Dan. And now, you know, I need you guys to be over there so that I can finish this conversation. But I think that that would really help us to build some of the the connection that oftentimes, actually, in normal times, we don't necessarily have connecting as human beings in terms of our our whole lives. I agree. That is an upside. And we're seeing that. I'm seeing that a lot in my work with folks from 10% Happier that the kids are coming through or the cats are coming through and you meet the kid or the animal, the dog or whatever. And it, it 
yeah, it makes it it's it's nice. It, it it does feel like you're getting to know people better in this odd way. But back to balancing family life while you're working. One thing that seems potentially really helpful here is to have a routine yes. for everybody. Donna B on Twitter asks, how can we set up a productive routine? What are your thoughts on that? I think that it really depends on, of course, you know, every family is different, you know, for, you know, for, for people that have young kids, like, you know, the five-year-old that you were mentioning, it's very different than people that have teenagers. So I think that it does. And that's why what Rasmus was saying around, it has to be a schedule and it does have to be, okay, here's when I'm available. Here's when I'm not available. And also working that out with the other adults in the, in the family environment. And, and really, again, it, it is back to this word that I keep on bringing up, but I, I, I do think it does have to be pretty disciplined and structured. And I think for us to just assume that we can manage without having a sense of boundaries and expectations, I think that that's actually what creates conflict and tension for people. So the more that we can set, you know, the more that we can set those expectations and boundaries up in advance and then learn from it and be very flexible because we're going to all have to continue to flex as we, as we go through this process and getting back to not only self-care, but now maybe getting into being really kind to each other because I'm going to mess up and we're going to have to make sure that we can support each other through that. And I think that kindness that you're referencing there really does start with yourself. Correct. That it's it's this sine qua non in some ways that it's really hard to be it's not impossible, but it's much harder to be kind to other people when your inner weather is really you know, there's torrential rain in there. And so I think getting into the habit of giving yourself a break can help you give other people a break. Yeah, absolutely. So this is a mixture of we, we've moved. For, we're kind of jumping back and forth between two of your buckets, one being distractions, the other being family life. And those two are overlap in many significant ways. But one of the things that I found about being home uh, that is difficult is I'm not surrounded by my normal work cues. My boss is not here and the laundry is basket is overflowing. So I feel like, okay, I, I should go do that. Um, and also the TV that I normally watch on uh, uh, to relax is like right over my right shoulder as I speak to you. And so it, it's, it, it's a, it's a target rich environment for, for distractions in a way that my office isn't. And I would say that's, that sounds like a problem, right? Um, uh, maybe see it as an opportunity at work. We work a lot, obviously. We work most of the time unless we're getting distracted by things we shouldn't get distracted by. At home, when we get distracted, it can actually be useful things like engaging with your kids, like petting your cat, or like getting laundry done so you have a little bit more time in the afternoon or possibly you extend your working day with an hour. But it is basically more conducive for giving the brain the breaks that the brain needs to be effective throughout a long day if you do the laundry or if you take time to just cook a, a quick lunch, whereas in the office, you'll just grab it and you'll just eat it and you're done and you're over. So also welcome some of the, the positive unintended implications of working at home. It's not all bad and we shouldn't see it as that. Yeah, at the but same here, time. I, I, oh, sorry. This is the, you and I, Jacqueline, just got into the classic conference call issue, which is we both started speaking at the same time. Uh, can, can I just ask a question? Um, because I, I, and this may just, this may be where you were going with this, Jacqueline, I don't know. But to me, it strikes me that the, the key thing is, yes, cooking lunch as opposed to just grabbing it in the cafeteria and eating at your desk can have salutary impacts or stepping away to do something that gives your brain a break, like folding laundry, as I did yesterday. However, I wonder whether your advice would be to do it in an orderly fashion, because I was just stepping away at any moment. I got frustrated with my work, and it just felt like I was frenzied. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I would say, and that's, I guess, where I was going was, I think that, yeah, and again, it's just to really watch, is this a, is this a good opportunity to be distracted? This is a good opportunity to take a break a good opportunity to shift your focus. Maybe it is because you're finding, and maybe actually in your case, if you were frustrated, then maybe it was actually a good time to go do the laundry because maybe the next email that you were going to write would not have been a necessarily kind one. So I think it gets back to, again, the ideal uh, approach would be to pause in the moment and say, okay, I'm tempted to go fold the laundry. Am I tempted to do that because I, I, I just want to be distracted? Or am I tempted to do that because I really need a break right now? And this would be a really good thing to do. So back to that awareness piece so that we can make better choices about what to do next. And to make it even easier for ourselves, Ben, you mentioned the structure. 
so download the Pomodoro app or just use a normal timer and put it at 45 minutes. This is when I work. And then there's 15 minutes uh, for folding laundry or doing other things. So just being structured about it so you're not wandering in and out all the time. That's very useful. Is there Are there more things you want to say about family life in this current context? Well, the only question is, I mean, you can set boundaries with kids and, and, and spouses, but I still haven't figured out how to do it with my cats. I don't know, Dan, if you've got any, any, any experience with that. I have a lot of experience with cats. I have no successful experience with getting them to <laughs> not be distracting. I mean, the only thing that's crossed my mind is literally locking them in a different room, uh, which may, I may have to do. Poor cats. No, these cats are the these cats are the most spoiled animals in the world. They were rescued from the streets and now live Aww. like incredibly uh, plush lives. Uh, yeah, I have one cat, Toby, who's very kind, very well intentioned, but pr- quite aggressive. And so I stand, at, I have a standing desk. He will sometimes jump from the floor to my shoulders, dig his claws in, and hang. And this is an overweight cat. So that's a lot of body weight hanging off of those claws. And it's very surprising and painful when he does that. Or I know he's standing behind me. I know he's standing behind me and it's going to happen soon. And I can't work because I know something bad's going to happen. So I may actually, I I know a lot of people are worrying about this. What do you do with the pets? I guess maybe we have to consider locking them in the other room. I'm just sitting here and waiting for, I'm looking forward to the moment when you have to start anchoring Good Morning America from home. And you have one of those situations with the cat on your back. <laughs> <laughs> I think the audience would love it. I think so too. I mean, Freud. Do you remember that? Uh, I think it was CNN reporter whose uh, kids came in uh, while he was doing some CNN report. Yes. Do you remember? I can't remember his name, but it's just fantastic. And everybody's got sympathy for him. And it's just a great story. I hope there'll be more of them coming out of, uh, out of this crisis. Maybe, and I would say that, and this again may not be easy for everybody, and I don't mean to belittle people's experience, but having a little bit of a sense of humor, if you can, when you can. And and that's not always easy, but we do know that if we can laugh about it, I mean, we've, we've seen some some great examples in New York. I don't know if you know the jewelry store in downtown that's actually selling rolls of toilet paper wrapped in gold ribbon for $4,999, and it comes with a free diamond ring. And I just think that we know that the brain actually like laughing. And I mean, we know that right now there isn't, there there, there is a lot of suffering in the world. And if we can find opportunities to connect and maybe share even a small joke, it can be really helpful for, from a brain perspective to settle us down. So I think trying to keep a sense of humor is also important. One other thing on family life that's, and we're going to dedicate a whole podcast to this uh, soon, but one other part of family life that we haven't really talked about, we've talked about setting up routines, making sure there's clear communication about boundaries. And, you know, uh, and a lot of that has to do with managing the kids in the house. But what about with your spouse? Because this is, or your partner, um, this is a really challenging time. Whether you have kids or not, you're in close quarters together. You've got your all the stresses of your work life that are probably, or if you don't have work, that's an, an even bigger stress. And on top of that, you've got a, a pandemic. So any thoughts on on how maintaining harmony with your partner can uh, help you stay focused at work? So Jacqueline is sitting and pointing at me and I'm pointing at her. Nobody <laughs> wants to answer that question because I guess that is the impossible question. I, I think, again, it has to come down to structure and communication. I mean, you need to be much more deliberate about how you collaborate as a couple. Whereas normally, you know, that's easy because you only come home at 5 or 6 p.m. So then you're both tired, you're off work. So it's much easier. This is really where not only your relationship is tested, but it's also where you can really develop your relationship because suddenly rubber hits the road and you need to work on being together in a constructive way. So again, I would try and see it as an opportunity, even though I totally accept it is a big challenge. And I would get back to the need now to be kind to each other, the need now to have more check-ins, the need now to say at the end of each day, you know, all right, today may have not have been the best day, but let's not, you know, let's not go to sleep mad at each other. Let's say, you know, luckily we still have each other. Um, And so to really make more rituals around, I know this is tough. I'm doing the best I can. I know you're doing the best you can checking in, being kind, and really being much more explicit about it because it's it's the only thing that's going to get us all through. Stay tuned. More of our conversation is on the way after this. 
As they say at Amica, empathy is our best policy. Whether you need auto, home, or life insurance, they're ready to help you protect the things that matter most to you. They're a mutual company, customer-owned, in service to you. Amica representatives are here when you need them, and you can take comfort knowing a real person will be there on the phone to take care of you because the greatest measure of their success is your satisfaction. You can count on T-Mobile to help keep you connected after investing billions to light up their network from big cities to small towns. T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, when you switch to T-Mobile, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus Verizon and AT&T. Visit your neighborhood store or T-Mobile.com to switch. Plan savings with T-Mobile, third line free on essentials via monthly bill credits versus comparable available plans. Plan features may vary. Credits stop if you cancel or change plans. Okay, so we're working our way through these four sort of buckets that you helpfully provided as a structure for this conversation uh, to, to remind people they are distractions, virtual collaboration, family life, isolation. I want to dwell a little bit longer in distractions because I think but just judging by my own mind and judging by what I'm hearing on on Twitter, this seems to be issue number one, at least the most salient um, in, in people's psychology right now. So let me read you. I have a bunch of questions. Let me start with a question that came in via Twitter from Amy Bryson. Background music slash noise or no? Does it help or hinder the ability to focus? We're used to noise in the workplace and a lot of people wear headphones, but is quiet better? Very simple answer. If you are starting to sing along to the music, then you are probably distracted and it's probably not helping you. But if it's actually creating white noise and allowing you to be more present and more focused, then it's probably helpful to you. It's Got very it. individual. For some people, it's a huge help. For others, it's a distraction. So go figure out yourself what works for you. Back to distractions. Another question. This is from me. We made we had some fun earlier with um, the issue of not watching the news. But I... I I might, and this is, you can judge for yourself whether you think this is self-serving or not. I might say, titrate your news consumption. I do think we need to know what's going on. We need to be active and engaged citizens, but you don't want to be compulsive about how much news you're checking. You're nodding your heads. Absolutely. Absolutely. You answer yourself. Yes. And, 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 and if we were to be fair about, yeah, being uh, responsible citizens, how often would we need to check the news? Like, what would your answer be then? For you to be a responsible citizen, how often do you need to check the news? Right. Well, for me, it's a little different because I'm in the news, so I feel, and I'm also yeah. you know, in a leadership position at a company, and I want to be able to communicate clearly to our employees and to uh, our millions of viewers uh, on ABC and listeners. I want to really deeply understand what's going on. But I would say for the average person, you know, I, I would say an hour a day of watching and reading um, makes about I'm, I'm pulling that out of a hat. But I, that sounds about right. I think it's also to really and this could be a whole nother topic, which is not our area of expertise. But I think it's also to be very careful about what news feeds you're you're getting, um, because, of course, you know, some are are can be not helpful in terms of perhaps misinformation or how you're actually consuming news. So what are some trusted sources of news that you can rely on, that you can then actually just be able to tap into, feel like you're informed, and then be able to pull out? Yeah, I would say major established news organizations are better than your uncle on Twitter. Yeah, Possibly. like ABC. I just wanted to throw that back. <laughs> yeah, I, thought, I think ABC <laughs> I've heard, is really I've heard incredible. ABC is great. Yeah. yeah. We have a huge audience point in, about, in, in yeah. Copenhagen. <laughs> your point about the one hour, whether it's one hour or half an hour or two hours, I think that doesn't matter so much. What matters is what are the doses? Because if it is 100 times one minute, then your mind is poisoned. You are never present with anything you're doing. So if you have to check the news, then do it and do it in a good chunk and take the time for it. But the problem is that we're checking it all the time. And then our mind just becomes very anxious, very stressed. I agree. A quick comment, then I want to move on to another question. But when it comes to news consumption, I suspect it's not unlike background music. Your advice there was you have to gauge for yourself how much you can, whether it's good or bad for your brain slash mind. And for news consumption, if you find that you easily get overwhelmed, then I would I would argue probably 
dial it down. And if you can handle it and feel like actually it feels better to know more than than read more. Um, let me just go back. Well, we have a couple of other, other uh, buckets that we want to dive into, like virtual collaboration and managing the feelings of isolation. But on this issue of distractions, we, we talked a lot earlier about the balance between discipline and self-compassion. And I have a note up in front of myself that I, I wanted to come back to that a little bit, because as you said, you know, we want to have a certain amount of discipline, but then when we notice even after having listened to this whole conversation tomorrow, we may notice that, uh, you know, I listened to Jacqueline and Rasmus and Dan talk, but, um, you know, I, I was trying to write a, a proposal and I then found myself 15 minutes deep into Instagram and now I'm beating myself up to, to know that that's still going to happen. Correct. And, and that you need some sort of self-compassion. So that brings me to my question, which is how do we develop that? How do we how do we take ourselves to the gym uh, for self-compassion? I think one of the things that I always like to say is mindfulness is a practice. It's not mindfulness perfect. And I think that if we think that we're going to go out and always be perfect in terms of the way that we manage our mind, we're definitely in for some disappointment. So I think for for us, it's it's really about making sure that when we we set ourselves a good intention, ideally, you know, setting self intentions for the day, intentions for the meeting, always coming back to what are my intentions, what do I hope, what am I, what are my aspirations for how I want to show up and how I want to support other people or be present in this meeting, and then really have a sense of kindness around if I fail, at least my intentions were good. So if we always focus on having the right intentions then the fact that the outcome may or may not be exactly what we wanted, at least we can hold ourselves high, our head high in terms of saying, but my intentions were good. I did have that intention. And I think that that's at least a way for people to be able to say, and then I can try again. You know, I can take two. And that's the way the brain works from a neurological perspective is to be able to rewire it to change habits takes time. And we've got to be kinder in ourselves on that journey. And is there a practice for setting intentions? Is there a, something you think we should do during our day or, and in our mind in order to set those intentions? Well, I would say that, you know, simple things in terms of what works for you. The, uh, my, my typical way of doing that is that I do set myself intentions for the day. So as I start my practice, I always actually set myself an intention for the practice. Then when I finish the practice, I set myself an intention for the day. And I think it's really about starting to, to really figure out what works well in terms of yourself. You know, for me, when I start a meeting, it's about setting my intentions. And actually, this is actually maybe slipping into virtual collaboration. We actually, within Potential Project, what we do when we work together is we actually set a collective intention. Okay, so what is our collective intention for how we want to show up in the meeting today? And it can be as simple as, I want to be very present. I want to be focused. I want to make sure that we're keeping the bigger picture in mind in terms of what we're trying to achieve. So it's really individual and it's also context specific. Does that make sense? It does. But just to stay on the individual level, when you, you were describing, I, I, I intuit from what you were describing earlier that you meditate first thing in the morning and both set an intention for your practice, like may the typical Buddhist one is may this practice benefit all beings, but you may set intentions for the day at the end of your meditation practice. Not all of us meditate first thing in the morning. I don't actually, unless there are special circumstances, but it might be, I've heard the advice, uh, my f uh, friend and, and former podcast guest, Kelly McGonigal, has argued that maybe the thing is when you open your eyes in the morning and you're just lying there for a second, if you can remember to set your intention for the day right there. I absolutely agree with that. And I think another good practice is to close the day with a little bit of a gratitude exercise. So at the end of the day, reflect on one thing that I'm grateful for and to have that as a way to be able to close the day in a way that you, you know, as despite the challenges that you face, that you are one thing that, that, that was, was good in your day to day, which could be about yourself. It could be about others, but it's a nice way to be able to close the day as well. Rasmus, any further thoughts on, on how we might develop this skill of self-compassion, which is so important when it comes, which is such an important balancing factor when it comes to discipline and distraction? A few thoughts about it and, and also maybe related specifically to the crisis that we're experiencing now, where because of this crisis, we're being asked to be in isolation and there's nothing more frightening for human beings than to be in isolation. That's like the prime driver for us is to connect socially with others. Uh, so it's creating a lot of anxiety and stress and depression for people to have to be on their own. So having a strong sense of, of self-care in that is really important. And so maybe we're into the bucket of 
of managing isolation, but uh, a few things that we feel are here from a lot of our clients that are important is, first of all, to remind yourself that you're not alone. I mean, right now, it is literally the entire planet that is suffering both from the same virus and from the same anxiety coming from the ripple effects of the virus. And another thing is, because we are social animals, basically we're social animals, it's hard for us not to be connected to others. And while the media is, is, is blasting a lot about uh, creating a lot of um, uh, distance, social distance, that distance has to be physical, but not emotional. So what can we do to reach out to others? What can we do to connect with others? Really being much more intentional about when we call our mom, that we do it on video rather than just a phone conversation, reaching out more to people as you talked about sitting and and meditating with your with your elderly neighbor on a on a good distance how can we create connections in a time that is completely disconnected and then i think the most important thing for self care and taking care of ourselves in this is actually to take care of others because as as research has shown again and again if we want to be happy we have to focus on making others happy one of the studies found that if we buy ourselves a treat in the spa that's going to enhance our happiness a little bit for up to eight hours. If we buy that spa treat and we give to someone we care for, it increases our happiness level for eight days. So it's literally 24 times stronger to do something good for others than to do something good for ourselves. So back to Jacqueline's intention, the more we can set the intent and execute on bringing compassion to our actions and reaching out to others so they're not feeling isolated, the happier we'll be. So I think the best way of self-compassion is also caring for others. Yeah, I mean, the Dalai Lama has referred to it as wise selfishness. If you right. want to be happy, uh, the best move, and science is, su supports this, is to spend your time thinking about the well-being of other people. That, that will make you happier, and therefore it is a wise form of selfishness. And I can even see, I mean, set the science aside, I can see it playing out in my own mind, as referenced earlier, I notice how painful a mind state it is to be obsessing over how many likes my latest tweet may have gotten, as opposed to the actually really sort of placid mind state I notice I'm in when I'm running an errand for my neighbor because it's not safe for her to go out. Well, that's that actually I feel pretty good. I feel energized. It's an elevated state. Mm. And just seeing that comparison doesn't mean I don't regress to Twitter OCD, but, but, uh, you know, it's useful because I can incline my mind more toward the latter. And I actually think again, I think that this is a fantastic opportunity for us to look for ways to connect with our neighbors more so than we ever have before. You know, even if it's just slipping notes under people's apartment buildings and saying, are you okay? Is there anything that you need? I have some time or I have some extra toilet paper or whatever it might be. But it's actually a great opportunity for us to get really creative because I think social, socially we, we do need to connect. But we also, I think fundamentally, compassion is in our nature. It's what makes us uniquely human. And I think that now is an opportunity for us to really all come together in a, in a really hopefully powerful way that we'll all be able to, to move through this crisis together. Anything else to say on this issue of social isolation uh, before we move on to a related topic of virtual collaboration? I would just say just a real warning label on this. I, I think we're very concerned about people feeling isolated. We've already had before this crisis an epidemic of loneliness around the world. And so I think now more than ever, people really need to get out there and help each other and make sure that they connect that people aren't just sitting there watching Netflix all night alone in their room. <laughs> it's okay to take a break sometimes, but I really think that we really need to be even more strong and firm about social connection because we need it now more than ever. Yeah, it's easy to forget that it is a basic human need. Correct. And uh, while we're locked in, you may think, okay, I have all the provisions I need. Um, I... I'm going to be I'm going to be able to ride this out. I'm, I'm, there's healthcare nearby if I need it, et cetera, et cetera. But a a lonely human back on the savannah when we were evolving was likely a dead human. And Correct. so we have profound physiological responses to loneliness. And it you know, I if this is a podcast about productivity, 
if your body is rebelling because you're socially isolated, you're not going to be productive. So if, if that's what it takes you to get socially connected, then go for it. If not, then do it for the, the squishier reasons like they're the, the gooey center. Okay, so let's, I'm sensitive, Rasmus, to your time. Um, I want to talk about virtual collaboration. Why don't we, I let you start talking about it, then we'll let you flee and we'll finish to- talking about it with Jacqueline. How does that sound? You are being so incredibly compassionate and kind. I hope you're feeling good in this moment. Thank you very much. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> um, so I think that the challenge that's, that, that people face with virtual collaboration is that most of our communication is actually happening through, we do, through, through what we do with our bodies, how we look in our face, all the things that are not necessarily the words. And now suddenly we're all faced or forced to work virtually, which means more emails, more phone conversations. And in best case, video conversations. And that just is the brewing platform for lots of misunderstandings, lots of conflicts, a lack of shared focus, and a lack of social cohesion. So basically, teams are at the risk of deteriorating, underperforming, and just being unhappy together. So there's a massive case for really being intentional about how you operate as a, as a virtual team. And then Jacqueline can share some of the, the tips of how to do that. And then I will log off in the meantime. Thank you so much, Dan. Okay, good. go to your to next you meeting. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. We'll continue with Jacqueline. Exactly as Rasmus said, virtual collaboration is not easy. It's not our natural orientation. So it really does take effort. And I think that uh, a couple of tips, things that we've seen to work really well together is number one, to practice together. And, and again, although that may sound, again, squishy, Um, But for us, what we've seen is there's real benefit in being silent with each other. There's something that we, you know, can, can, because when we're talking, of course, we get distracted by the words, we get distracted by things that I, you know, I don't know what you're saying. When we're silent together, we can actually be truly present. And even in a virtual environment, there's still this sense of taking a collective breath to be able to support each other, to be able to have a sense of community. So practicing together is something that we've seen to be extremely powerful and it can be just one minute. So it's just a really nice way. And one of the things that we often recommend is starting each meeting and it doesn't even have to, you don't have to say it's mindfulness, but just starting each meeting with a moment of silence to just let everybody collectively arrive. Tip number two would be to really look at how you're managing your meetings. So are you, again, back to this word discipline, you know, do you have a clear owner? Do you have a clear structure in terms of how you're going to manage communication? Like we had earlier, who's going to talk, you know, at the same time, those kinds of things. And I think that in a virtual context, you need to be even more disciplined around that. One of the things that we strongly recommend is having no other devices on during meetings. And that can be really challenging because oftentimes, well, I will say, I will often have my device and the only, the only, it'll be on silent, but if one of my kids calls, well, then I will take that distraction. But I set that expectation up front that that's okay. But for all other distractions, I have to be fully present. So really having some strong guidelines around meetings to be able to manage in a virtual environment because it's tough. The third tip is to really leverage the opportunity to be able to have open space. So have virtual coffee breaks and and to, you know, if you use whatever platform you use, maybe ping people and say, you know, I actually this is this is when I have open office, open office hours. So just come by and just drop in. So, again, really using the technology as a way to be able to not only get things done, uh, but also to be able to enhance connection. So we at 10% Happier, we do virtual lunches together. We're doing a virtual happy hour Friday night. Uh, We also, even before this started, we were setting up uh, coffees, the the rotating coffee time with colleagues who you don't um, get to. We found some app, I think it's called Donut or something like that, that that creates virtual date uh well dates for people they were going to be in person dates but now they're virtual dates and we're keeping we keep doing this during the crisis so it gives people FaceTime in an in an unstructured social way that i i think is going to have a positive effect yeah absolutely and i think that again it's really leveraging you know leveraging the technology because the technology although it can be a distraction for us as we talked about earlier but there is amazing things that we can do in terms of technology and being able to connect so really leveraging and one of the other things I would say just around the technology is that 
a lot of, for example, different platforms, whatever you use in your organization. But we really encourage making sure, you know, use the breakout group function if you have it. Use the whiteboard. Use the different features to be able to really encourage interaction. Don't just run it as if it was the same as an in-person meeting. There's actually really cool features that you can use from a technology platform and leverage them. What about, is it, or do you have any thoughts on sort of conference call etiquette? how to treat others yes. and how to behave? <laughs> yes. Uh, yes, we do. We actually work in many of the organizations that we work with, we actually work to define those because of course they can be very unique for the organization. They can be very unique for different departments. Uh, but it really is around conference call etiquette. You know, one of them is, you know, rules around boundaries, around whether devices are on or off. Um, additional devices, obviously, they're not that you're one that you're connecting with. And, and also, you know, around, uh, you know, things, things like, is it okay, you know, if I need to, if I need to step out, is it okay for me to do that? Can I actually call that out? Are there permissible distractions so that I can actually make sure that I can have that space to be able to say, I'm not sure if this particular content is relevant for me, can I just step out and come back in? So again, really being able to have clear communication around how we're going to manage our time very effectively. Because I think what happens to a lot of people is that, they just end up there. They're, the reason why they're distracted is because they're bored. What's what people are talking about is not relevant to them, or they don't have practices like if I feel like you're talking too much or I'm talking too much. What's our agreement in terms of how we're going to share that? Because if I'm just talking and you're not enjoying what I'm saying anymore, then we're both wasting our time. So again, how can we really have good communication and good conversations about how we support each other? Because that's really what virtual collaboration is all about. But how, how do you keep that in mind? I mean, it seems important to keep in mind that if you're on a conference call with just audio, then you really don't have a lot of data about how what you're saying is being received. And even right. with video, you have more data, but it's not like being in the same room. So yeah. should we conduct ourselves in a different way, given that we're, we really can't know as, uh, as well as we could in person about how what we're saying is landing? Yes. The key thing is to, first of all, I... We always encourage video if it's possible, because it is at least that better ability to be able to see people. The second thing is that you need to take more breaks and check in. So say something, pause, and then maybe do a quick poll. Is this landing well? Am I speaking too quickly? Does anybody have any questions? And again, we don't need to do that when we're face-to-face because we can see if it's landing. We can tune in with the environment. You know, Our brain actually knows whether or not this is resonating with people. When we can't see people and we're in a conference call environment, the tendency is, I'm just going to keep talking, blah, 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 blah. I can't see anybody. It's a monologue. And we need to be able to call ourselves on it, take more breaks and more check-ins. What if you're a junior employee? Because a lot of these, uh, a lot of what we're discussing is sort of, I think, aimed at people who are running the call. But what if you're a junior employee and you're on a call and you just don't know how what you said landed or you don't know how you feel about something somebody just said 15, you know, 15 seconds ago. Do you have any thoughts on how one could go about getting clarification skillfully? Well, I would say one of the things when we're working with leaders, we often talk about the importance of psychological safety. One of the things we know, and this is pre-crisis, but still definitely relevant to today, is that if we as leaders think that we have all the answers, we are in trouble. No leader has all the answers today. So I think it's really important for leaders to actually give people permission, especially in this context, to actually say up front to their their people, hey, if if I'm talking about something that isn't relevant for you or you have questions, I really want to encourage you to be able to raise that. And then, of course, the first time that somebody does celebrate that immensely. Thank you so much, Dan, for raising that point. That was excellent. So it's really about creating a culture of psychological safety. I think for the junior employee, I think that that's still, you know, it depends on the culture of organization, whether they feel safe doing that. But I would really encourage them to do that because nobody right now has time to waste. We need to be able to all support each other as a team. And I think at least what I've seen, people that have been willing to take that risk and just ask it as a question, be curious. Don't, if you come up with, I think this is a waste of time, that may or may not be received very well. But if you come up with curiosity, you know, I'm not sure that this is relevant to everybody. Would it make sense for us to at least check in? I think what we're seeing anyway, you know, those are the people that I get, I think that's a future leader in our organization. There's somebody that's actually helping us all to be more productive. This has been a great conversation from my standpoint. Is there, is there something I 
should have asked but didn't? Well, that is a great question. I mean, there's so many things that we could talk about. I I can't think of anything specifically. I think that the maybe the only thing that I would say is getting back to this idea of let's really come together. You know, we're all dealing with these challenges, regardless of where we are in the world, what organizations we're with, or what our personal situations are. And I think that the opportunity for us to have more opportunities to talk about it, to be able to share experiences and really learn from each other. I think the cool thing that we're seeing is there's a lot of real innovative and creative ideas, creative ideas around how people are taking care of each other, which is really cool. I think how people are being creative about work. And I think that just the more that we can share that and celebrate that, I I hope that we'll look back at this and it'll be one of those things where we'll say, wow, that was such a challenging time. And look at all the great things that came out of it in terms of how we took care of each other and supported, continue to get work done. Well said. May it be so. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much, Jacqueline. Appreciate it. Thank you, Dan. And thank you for everything that you're doing. Great work. Big thanks to Rasmus and Jacqueline. I really enjoyed that chat. I got a lot out of it. It's going to help make me saner around the house as I work. On a personal note, uh, not personal to me, but personal to Jacqueline, uh, she is going to try to get a flight home to her family. She, as as was mentioned, she's been marooned in Copenhagen. Uh, her family is back home in Canada. I erroneously said they were based in the States. That's where they used to be based. They're now based in Canada. She's supposed to fly home on Sunday, so please root for her. Uh, and a reminder that they've written a few books you might want to check out, One Second Ahead and The Mind of the Leader. Before we go, I want to remind you, don't forget to check out our daily live meditations, 3 o'clock Eastern, every workday, 10percent.com slash live. There's a link in the show notes. And uh, the final thing to say is a big special thanks to Samuel Johns and also Ryan Kessler and Josh Cohan, who are doing a ton of extra work to get this podcast out to you twice a week in uh, difficult times. So thank you to them. Thank you to you for listening, and uh, hang in there. If you like 10% Happier, and I hope you do, uh, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music, Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com slash survey. Once upon a beat, remember those stories and fables that would capture your imagination and you couldn't wait to see how they would unfold? And now, when you read them as an adult, you think some of these old tales could use a fresh spin. We have a perfect podcast to bring you the stories you remember, remix, and reimagine for the kids in your life today. Join me DJ and my trusty turntable, Baby Scratch, as we spin up new tales in the New Kids and Family Podcast, Once Upon a Beat. Wondry and Tinkercast are bringing you a jam-packed, music-filled weekly party where hip-hop and fables meet. It's Once Upon a Beat. Follow Once Upon a Beat on the Wondry app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Once Upon a Beat early and ad-free right now by joining Wondry Plus in the Wondry app or Wondry Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Once Upon a Beat. For more than two centuries, the White House has been the stage for some of the most dramatic scenes in American history. Inspired by the hit podcast American History Tellers, Wondery and William Morrow present the new book, The Hidden History of the White House. Each chapter will bring you inside the fierce power struggles, the world-altering decisions, and shocking scandals that have shaped our nation. You'll be there when the very foundations of the White House are laid in 1792, and you'll watch as the British burn it down in 1814. Then you'll hear the intimate conversations between FDR and Winston Churchill as they make plans to defeat Nazi forces in 1941. And you'll be in the Situation Room when President Barack Obama approves the raid to bring down the most infamous terrorist in American history. Pre-order The Hidden History of the White House now in hardcover or digital editions wherever you get your books.